0: All right, let's do this. Let's really do this. <laughs> this is listen closely with John and Chris. I'm John out here on the East Coast, and I'm joined three hours behind on the West Coast by Chris. Hello, Chris. Hello, John. How are you?
1: I am well. It's a beautiful 88 degrees and sunny out here in Vancouver, Washington. Believe it or not. My
0: lord, 88.
1: 88. Yeah, yeah. It. I heard- I heard you guys got snow yesterday.
0: I mean, not a substantial amount, but no, I mean, right. it, was, uh, it was definitely a little bizarre. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it was a strange weekend, to say the least. Um, it's been a strange strange year. Strange year, strange weekend. I mean, imagine my surprise of putting on uh, this, this new HBO series called I Know This Much Is True, and it ends up not being a six-part miniseries about Spandau Ballet. So I, you know, <laughs> combine that with the snow on Saturday, it just made for a very strange, strange weekend. But Understood. It, is, it, it, it was a very interesting week for the Listen Closely podcast because um, we are now on something like 10 different uh, podcast sites. And uh, perhaps the, the biggest, the most known one is spotify so uh for those eight listeners now uh you can access our entire archive of now what seven podcasts on spotify on breaker on google music on itunes and several others that i've never even heard of
1: we may we may not have enough listeners to go to each of the podcast sites, actually, I think we have more yeah. podcast sites than we have listeners.
0: We do. I didn't even yeah. know all these podcast sites existed, but uh, I do now. And uh, I guess I'll work on compiling a comprehensive list for our uh, our fans.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Well, we're yeah. Regarding tonight's podcast, before I hand it over to you, uh, there's I have one question I want to know, and uh, this is very important for tonight. Are you wearing your red head, headband right now?
1: <laughs> of course I am. Of course I am. How could you, how could you not if we're going to do this album?
0: All right. Well, then that's all I needed to know. I will, uh, I'll turn it over to you then. All right. Well, we are going to do a,
1: uh, a really a, a great album um, from 1985. One of the albums that really made the CD become what it was. Uh, it was recorded digitally. Uh, in the UK by the great band Dire Straits and their, their lead man, Mark Knopfler. We're going to look at Brothers in Arms.
0: Hell of an album.
1: Hell of an album, yeah. Um, you know, do you have any, uh, any first impressions uh, you know, as, before we, we dig deep into this?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a few things before we do the deep dive. I'll say this much. Uh, our timing is, is impeccable. Because we are almost exactly to the day of the 35th anniversary of the release of this album, which was May 13th, 1985. Wow. And uh, yeah, how's that for timing, right? That's perfect. And look, I've always been a big Knopfler fan. I think Knopfler is, is phenomenal. And I think the, the success of this album is really a testament to Mark Knopfler. And and to his talents, and to Dire Straits, uh, their talents in general, because you know these are not your; these are very unlikely MTV superstars. This album comes out in the spring of '85. MTV is at its its peak, really. And if you look at who the other artists were that were all over MTV at that time—Madonna, Duran Duran, George Michael when he was still with Wham—um. You know, they're young, they're uh, they're attractive, and then <laughs> then you have dire straits. What, arguably, what are you
1: saying? What are you saying about Mark Knopfler?
0: <laughs> our onlyest group of dudes oh, come ever. On, <laughs> oh, seriously, <laughs> yeah. though. I mean, come on. L- listen to me. They are not a good-looking group of people, and they're a little bit older than... You know, they're a good 10 years older than Madonna, U2, Duran Duran. Knopfler is approaching, like, midlife crisis age, and he becomes an MTV superstar in 1985, 1986. And again, some of it has to do with maybe the videos themselves, but just damn good songs. Uh, and and he's always been my one of my favorite guitarists. I just love his style of playing i find it much less invasive than yeah, eddie van halen who's a genius at playing guitar but i think there's just a more atmospheric soothing sound to Knopfler, and i think it's evident on this album and uh that's really all i have to say before we do the deep dive Ab- absolutely i just to, to piggyback on that i mean Knopfler's guitar
1: it sort of sneaks up on you the the brilliance of it uh you know it doesn't hit you over the head uh and i think that's what's so What's so fantastic about it, 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 it doesn't – he doesn't have the need to – I mean, he can, he can put down a powerful solo for sure, but uh, he doesn't always have to.
0: Uh, I think that's some of his it's a, genius. It's a very nuanced approach, I think, to guitar virtuosity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and one th- – you, know, you had uh, told me something very interesting about Nafor when we were talking about this earlier – Um, his early career. Why don't you talk a little bit about that before he was,
0: I I read somewhere that uh, much like you, uh, (laughs) Knopfler started (laughs) out writing. uh, He was, he was a journalist. He was basically uh, covering local stories for a small town, local newspaper in uh, England or in Scotland. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause I believe he's, he's Scottish by birth was somewhere (laughs) in the United kingdom. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that's very telling because his songs always tell very interesting, well-detailed stories.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I feel like on this album, we've got kind of a mix. There's, you know, there's a lot of uh, love songs, but then you get a, a trio of songs that are really war songs. Um. You know, if you look at The Man's Too Strong, right across the river, Brothers in Arms, I mean, these have heavy, you know, guys in battle. Um, and the title of the album, Brothers in Arms, you know, is uh sort of a military reference. But he tells some some stories that maybe not every songwriter could tell, you know, kind of getting into that realm. Um so I, I, I agree with you there. I think it's uh it's very telling his his former career. What, for you, if anything, uh, stands out
0: as the low point, the, the nadir of this album? For me, and you might find this surprising, uh, I didn't even have to think twice about this. I think I know what you're going to say. I think I know what you're going to say. What do, you, what do you think I'm going to say?
1: You're going
0: to go with Walk of Life. Absolutely. I yeah. think Walk of Life is cheesy, out of place. You know i i liked walk of life a lot as a child when the album came out but i was also like seven or eight years old and um (laughs) but i i think i liked it at the time chris mostly because do you remember the music video of course the video and it was like baseball bloopers and it was dudes colliding head-on going for the same pop-up fly in the outfield but come on man like knoffler watched baseball
1: Well it was all sports. I mean
0: it had I mean I, I don't know if you watch football but it had a variety of sports in it. Uh, it did have some football, it did have some basketball. I'm not going to lie. In preparation for this episode, I watched the video and I cringed oh, as wow. I watched it. But I just find the whole thing to be you know the 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 synthesizer sounds like it's it's the guy playing at a minor league baseball park um <laughs> and maybe that's intentional that awful shot in the beginning of the video where Knopfler's suiting up in like the red outfit with the white leather boots. Oh wow, it's I like, did remember that. Jeez. Yeah, you watch this and you go, "No wonder why people really make fun of '80s music." Um, <laughs> it's to, because there's look, it's it's arguably my favorite um, era for music, but I think, in my opinion, Walk of Life really is just, just it, it's weak. It's very weak. But I'm mm. curious, what did you go with as your uh, idea? Well, I,
1: I did not go with Walk of Life. I, that, uh, I understand that it does not hold up as well as almost all of the rest of this album. But uh, I just have such a soft spot for that. Uh, I, I think maybe you don't like that as much because you weren't as much into sports as me.
0: Here's the thing. When I was seven or eight, I was really into sports. And I was really into the video. I I used to laugh at it because you remember watching and, you know, like you, I grew up a Boston Red Sox fan. Mm -hmm. And um, those were some lean years in the 1980s. (laughs) Anytime there was a rain delay, they would either show Mr. Belvedere reruns or (laughs) mash or they would show like This Week in Baseball. And you always waited for the compilation Real, where it was just the guys crashing into each other. Um, yeah. And so I think, I think I used to really love watching MTV as a kid and, and waiting for Walk of Life to come on just because it was that same sort of sensation. But looking at it now, no, it does nothing for me. Uh, your sports remark, okay, maybe you're right, but um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious, though, to hear what what you ultimately went with.
1: Well, I went with one World, uh,
0: the penultimate track.
1: Um, you know i not a terrible song. I don't think there are any terrible songs on this album, but you know it's kind of uh, it's kind of forgettable for me, um, you know talking about finding a way to live in one world in harmony. Eh, you know
0: I, it's very cliche
1: very cliche and um, for me, it's one that just—it just has no staying power to me. You know, almost every song on this album has has something that kind of lingers with me. That one just goes in one ear without the other. Um, so that—that's what I would go with. Walk of life. You tonight. think on, you think one world is worse than Walk of Life? I do. Walk of Life still—it's this infectious, uh, upbeat song. I understand what you're saying. And, and some of this may be a sentimental pick for me, but um, but I don't know. Okay, it's still got it for me.
0: Yeah, but Okay. Just hear me out on this for a moment here. And I'm not here to change your mind, but <laughs> <laughs> I love Knopfler's lyrics. I think his lyrics are on par with his guitar playing, but come on, man, here comes Johnny singing oldies, goldies, be Lua, baby. What I say, Here comes Johnny singing, I got a woman down in the tunnels trying to make it pay. He got the action. He got the motion. Oh yeah. The boy can play. I mean, really? Seriously?
1: (laughs) It's a, it's, it's, it's a throwback. It's kind of an old, you know, bluesy jazzy tune here. It's,
0: uh, I don't know. I don't know what you want me to tell you here. I, I, Again, I'm not going to change your mind. I just... I, <laughs> I i i think the song you chose for the Nadir is not a very good song. I agree. For my money, Walk of Life is worse. And I think that Dire Straits probably alienated a lot of their long-term fans with Walk of Life.
1: They probably did. They probably did. And Maybe if that song comes out when I'm not eight years old, I don't feel the same way. Um but for me it's just hard to separate the 8-year-old listening to that song and wanting to get up and dance
0: uh from today i could see how that would resonate more with an 8-year-old than your latest <laughs> trick would <laughs> but, but then again i was a strange child so you know we'll get to that in a little bit but it's true yeah <laughs>
1: um yeah i don't know i just still i still find it infectious and maybe some of that is probably a lot of it is nostalgia but uh if it comes on the radio, I will I will listen to it. I'm Sorry. not even going to respond to that. Okay. Wow. Wow. This is this is, you know, 35 years, this may be the uh one of the biggest arguments we've gotten into.
0: <laughs> I think really it was it's, <laughs> it's this it's and in. Procol Harum's Whiter Shade of Pale, which uh, I think is a masterpiece, and you think it's just, you know, don't, don't get obnoxious me started on rubbish. That. Don't get me We're, started we'll, on that. We'll devote an entire yeah. episode to that. Right.
1: Right. Now back to this, what, um, brothers in arms, what'd you go with for your sleeper moment? This is the moment that, you know, maybe every time it doesn't, it doesn't catch you, but one it kind of sneaks up on you and once in a while it just
0: grabs you and you say, wow, that is, that is better than I thought. Well, yeah. And this is interesting because I gave the album a full listen several times this week and, uh, Perhaps it's the, the circumstances in which we're living in right now. But the sleeper moment that really snuck up on me and really resonated with me, uh, listening to it several times this week, is the song Why Worry. Mm. And I think it, uh, you know, it's sort of the perfect narrative for what we're living through right now. Um, the lyrics, why worry, there should be laughter after pain, there should be sunshine after rain these things have always been the same. So why worry now? And, uh, it should be said, he co-wrote the song with Emmy Lou Harris. Um, but it's, it's a very simple melody. I think, uh, of course, what I said about the lyrics, they, they really resonated with me. And I think it really just showcases uh, Knopfler's guitar virtuosity. Hmm. So that's my two cents. Yeah. So I'm curious to know what you went with as your sleeper moment. Yeah. I well,
1: Well, the, the kicking and fighting is over. Cause I went with the same thing. I went with why word. Oh. Yeah. Oh my Lord. Um, it's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song. It's one that if you're, if you're not paying attention, it can kind of pass you over Um, because it is very, it's a very quiet song. Um, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. in it's simplicity. Um, you know, that passage that you just read was, I was going to read that, um, and because it's, no, I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's all, right, it's all right. Um, but yeah, it's great. It, it really, it's very atmospheric to, um, the, the synth and the, the keyboards on this, you know, that little towards the end, there's about a minute and a half of just uh musical outro. Can you have an outro? Is that a thing? Like instead of an intro, an all right sure um coda a coda yeah whether you just get that little mm-hmm. it's uh it's really beautiful which you made it sound like the deliverance thing I, just no, now I yeah did. that was nice <laughs> that's a different thing um yeah i think it's just a beautiful song um it's beautiful it's simple and it it sneaks up on you so i think it's a perfect sleeper song
0: we are in agreement yeah. after that nasty exchange yeah, yeah. about um, a Walk of walk Life, of life we, which almost ended. Everything's it. simpatico yeah. again. That's, <laughs> that's wonderful. Now, let's good.
1: Uh, let's see what you got for your Zenith. What's your high point in this album?
0: Oof. So this was a tough one. Yeah. Because there's, what, nine songs on the album, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And I was torn between three of them for my Zenith. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know so far away which is the the lead off song the the first song in the album that's probably the song i listen to the most mm-hmm. and uh you know when it comes on the radio or when i'm out shopping and i hear it at you know the supermarket or something i just i'm very happy hearing it uh and then the title track brothers in arms i think for all intents and purposes is probably the best song on the album mm. uh But in the end, I had to go with my personal favorite, which is Your Latest Trick, Mm. Uh, which it's a daring song because it doesn't sound like dire straits at all. It sounds more like something that should have been on a Sade album. (laughs) Um, But it's it's true. You know, it's kind of uh, the lyrics are incredible. And I think Knopfler's storytelling really is is at the center of this song. And what's pretty cool with, with it for me is that, you know, I've mentioned a few times his guitar chops. They kind of take a back seat, which is rare for a Dire Straits song. Mm. He's sort of just filling in the blanks in the background, playing guitar. Um, but my God, that sax solo! Mm. In the beginning, I mean, it could be one of the, if not the most identifiable sax riffs in rock history. Mm. And, you know, whoever it was that played that sax riff, I'm willing to bet he must have gotten laid a whole boatload of (laughs) times in the 80s just by telling women like, uh, you know, it's such a sultry sax sound. And I, I had this vision listening to the song about 30 times this week that it's, you know, uh, 1986, it's, it's Little Rock, Arkansas, and it's it's late on a hot night, and and then-Arkansas Governor Bill Clinton is sitting in the governor's <laughs> mansion, and he's probably thinking, I need to play the sax again so I can score some tail like the fellas from the <laughs> Dire Straits. Like, I swear, that's probably what got Bubba up and playing the sax again on Arsenio Hall. <laughs> <laughs> that song really put the sax back on the map, as far as I'm concerned.
1: He, Michael Brecker is the gentleman who played the uh, played the sax solo there. And
0: if I'm not mistaken,
1: he is no longer with us. He is, uh, yes, sadly passed away in 2007. Um, but he won. May he rests in peace. He was a, a com- composer and a performer. He won something like 15 Grammys. I mean, he was a guy you might not know his name you know, most people, but he, he was a big deal and that was a phenomenal solo. Yeah. Incredible.
0: And it's really not so much a solo as it's just kind of the intro. Right. Right. right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Incredible. And and, and just great song. Great song.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a great pick. That's a great pick.
0: Uh, But what did you go with?
1: Well, for me, so to me, you, you hit the nail on the head with the, the three best songs on the album. So far away, your latest trick, brothers in arms. Um, For me, I went with something different. I didn't go with the song. You went with the headband. (laughs) The red headband, yes. Um, No, I went with the... I'm going to call it the sonic landscape of this album. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, the atmospheric conditions. This song... There's a lot of keyboard. What,
0: what, it's like, a, are you a meteorologist?
1: <laughs> I wish. I could be wrong all the time and still catch uh, up. That's right. Um, no, this song has such an atmosphere to it. Um, you know, you put it on and it just sort of takes you away. You even look at the, uh, even the album cover. You know, the album cover is this sky blue with kind of pink clouds and this guitar floating off into it it's this peaceful it's very serene and that's that's the sound of this album there's so much from the 80s that you know you point to walk of life that that is cheesy and you know that synth pop that doesn't that doesn't have legs that doesn't uh have longevity stand the test of time the synth on this combined with the electric guitar and just Everything that they're doing here, it, it makes this uh, this this world where it's very expansive, um, and it's this great mood music that is not in any way cheesy on the synth. I think, except for maybe little bits here and there. Um, mm. Do you know what I mean? Walk yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Though it creates this really melodic, okay. um, beautiful soundscape, and and I think I think a lot of that has come back today with some of the artists you hear you know if you listen to somebody like frank ocean even um even like billy eilish uh i thought
0: you were gonna say billy, billy ocean That would be, i got really yeah, excited right. there for a minute but
1: there's a lot of this 80s type of sound coming back today uh not the super cheesy stuff but the stuff like this i think that had staying power that real sort of dreamlike,
0: atmospheric, uh, beautiful sound. Atmospheric, well-produced, yeah. And I think, you know, I I agree with you 100% on this, and I think there's a lot of crossover in the mid-'80s with certain artists playing on each other's albums, Mm. and they all kind of have this lush, atmospheric thing going for it. And I think you could uh, say similarly Pink Floyd's uh, 1987 Momentary Lapse of Reason, Mm which is just not necessarily a great Pink Floyd album, but a great-sounding album. And then uh, Brian Ferry's first post-Roxy music album in 1985, Boys and Girls, which also features Mark Knopfler on guitar and Dave Gilmore from Pink Floyd on guitar. So there's crossover, and there's a lot of similarities.
1: Sorry, Guy Fletcher from uh, Dire Straits as well.
0: Who is keyboardist, correct?
1: Yeah, There you go yeah I think you know i I feel like when the when the synthesizer and the uh, electronic keyboards got real big in the eighties, you know it was new and I think a lot of people just started doing whatever they could with them it was it was sort of like uh not even thinking is this is this really good it's just like, wow, we can do this um which lent itself to some cheesy stuff that doesn't really stand the test of time, but dire straits. I think they got it and they saw what was good about the keyboard and what was bad about it. And, uh, they were able to really harness it in the right way. I think.
0: I agree. It makes for an amazing listening experience all these years. Absolutely. Late. Um,
1: do you think this, uh, do you think this album captures the zeitgeist
0: of the time? 1985? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. it, for as beautifully produced and atmospheric as you said it is, it, at times, very much sounds like 1985. It smells like 1985. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I mean this in a good way. I think the the phrase that would get thrown around uh, in, in regard to this album was, "yummy mm-hmm. rock. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That may be so, but so what? As I said earlier, Knopfler's a bit older than the new wave and pop star upstarts of, of uh, 1985. And so there is a more mature, refined sound. And I think it, it does perfectly capture it. What do, you, what do you feel?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, and, and to call this mature and refined, I think is really smart observation. That's, it's sort of a, a level above uh, a lot of other, you know, 80s music that might kind of
0: be lumped in this genre. Um, you know, though, ironically, the British press massacre the album. Upon its release, for for this exact reason, yeah. Uh, New Musical Express, who really is, is Britain's answer to Rolling Stone magazine, attacks what they called Knopfler's mawkish self pity, his mannered appropriation of rock and Americana, his thumpingly crass attempts at wit, and uh, the now defunct British uh, oh. publication Record Mirror said the album is full of West Coast guitars reeking of megabucks and sell out stadium concerts throughout the globe. Wow. <laughs>
1: overly harsh to me. Um, incredibly overly harsh. Yeah. I, I will say the one thing in there that stands out to me, uh, there's a lot of pop in the '80s, pop rock. These guys were a little obsessed with like the wild West, I think. I mean, in this, you get songs like The Man's Too Strong and Right Across the River. You know, when, when we did No Jacket Required with Phil Collins, you got Billy Don't You Lose My Number, which has this real Wild West feel to it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What, what was it with that? <laughs> it feels like there's a lot of those songs.
0: I think because they're British. I think they're or they're, you know, they're from the UK. Yeah. Uh, I think it's the, that outsider's yeah. fascination with the Wild West. It's the same thing in the 1960s with the spaghetti Western. Mm. I mean, why the hell were Italians (laughs) making Westerns with washed up American TV stars? Um, You know, but it became a cultural phenomenon. And I, you know, you think of the Sergio Leone films of the 1960s uh, fistful of dollars once upon a time in the West. Um, You know, maybe it's the same thing. It's this outsider's fascination with uh with the foreign landscape in a in a, a bygone era.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I can see how the critics would sort of view it as especially with the kind of war references on this album to be like, oh you're look at this guy. Or, you know, he's going over, he's like putting on the cowboy hat. He's trying to play cowboy here. But uh to me he does a really good job of it. They do a really good job of it. I mean the man's too strong, which has a real Western feel to it. I think it's a great
0: song. It's got that it great does. guitar hook. Um, and Knopfler, it should be said, is a country music fan. He co writes a song with Emmy Lou Harris in yeah, the yeah. album. I think he did an entire album, a solo album with Chet Atkins. Hmm. Uh, he really is influenced by American old school country western and bluegrass yeah. sounds. Uh, so it, it's not simply thematically, but I think it's the, the overall sound yeah, of the album. Yeah.
1: Um, well, yeah, I think you're right. I think it does capture the zeitgeist. Uh, you know, what about for you? Any uh, personal memories that go with this one or any, uh, you know,
0: cultural references? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking long and hard about this. And, you know, there are a few personal memories, but for me, the, it's the cultural moment. And it's something I recently discovered. And I think I shared this with you a few months ago. You know, when you have a lot of time on your hands, as we do these days (laughs) and surf the web, finding random things. There was a Japanese television series in the uh, 1990s called file of justice, Mm. which is basically like the Japanese equivalent of law and order. And you can go on YouTube and watch the um, opening credit sequence, the theme. And it's basically, it it is the saxophone to your latest Mm. trick. But they stretch it out into a 90 second montage and the most bizarre imagery, (laughs) you know, they'll they'll cut to like courtroom scenes in Japan where they wear the the wigs like the barristers (laughs) in England do. And then they'll cut to like a woman getting run over (laughs) by a car in front of her family and like the husband screaming. And then there's like a weird sex scene. But, you know, the Japanese, they're not showing too much. Um, What made them, what made producers in 1996 sitting around going, you know, what are we going to use for our theme song? Should we commission, you know, the top Japanese uh, musician of the day to to write something for a file of justice? And, you know, does one of the showrunners just go, no, (laughs) I want Dire Straits. You're gonna do money for nothing? No. Your latest yeah. trick. What made them I, think of this?
1: I don't know, but you did send that to me, and it was—it's brilliant. I mean, it's—it's it's just so insane. Uh, what about
0: you? Cultural moment? Cultural. Or, I mean, some, I would cite or, Walk of Life or or, I would or cite a memoir a Walk
1: of life video, but uh, I don't think we want to go down that road. For, <laughs> no, for no, me, we don't. Uh, now. You you watched the show, The Americans, but you did not finish it, right? I did not finish it. I watched season okay. one. So I watched the whole thing. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. And bro- the song Brothers wow. in Arms plays in the final season. I'm not going to give away too much here, but at a an incredibly key moment. And it is such a fantastic scene. It's the perfect song for that moment. And uh, I will sometimes just Hop on YouTube and go go watch that because it it still gives me chills. Uh, you know, even what literally are we a year or two out from from when the finale
0: was? Um, wow, well, it also was in a very pivotal moment in uh, I think season two of Miami Vice. Was it? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the I Vice believe had so. All the
1: hits, man.
0: Well, that's what Miami. It, they, the working title for the for the show when it was in pre production was called MTV. Comics. Is that right? Um. Yeah. They didn't know what to call it, but they wanted it to, you know, really showcase the the big hop music of the yeah. day. What I find interesting is we've just spent thirty minutes plus talking about Dire Straits Brothers in Arms. We have not once mentioned the big hit that's, off the album. It's fascinating, isn't it? Uh, Money yeah. for Nothing. Yeah, I mean well, that was that was huge. Yeah.
1: And it's it's a good song. I,
0: I yeah. No, I
1: to me it's it's it maybe is a a little more dated than the other, you know, three big ones that we talked about. Um, but that was huge back in the day. And the video. Huge. Um, the video. I mean, that huge song. And I still like it. But uh, to me, it just doesn't quite have the depth of of those other three. Brothers in Arms. So Far Away and Your Latest Trick. Yeah. Great. Uh, final question. Perfect album?
0: No excellent album in my opinion, but I do not think it's a perfect album, but I, I thoroughly enjoy listening to it. Agreed, what yeah.
1: I think it, uh, it doesn't quite have the cohesion. Maybe it does sound wise, but I think the songs, you know, they kind of, they kind of jump around a little bit in terms of, you know, you get these sort of quasi war songs and then you're just getting things like walk of life and money for nothing. It's, uh, but fantastic album. One of the best from that era. And, uh, Anyone,
0: anyone out there listening, should should give it a listen if you haven't. I agree one hundred percent, and I think that's all the time we have. I've got to go um, install microwave ovens and custom kitchen deliveries, and I got to go move these color TVs. That's so. right. I'm
1: going to go watch the, the Walk of Life video, and
0: uh... yeah, let me know how that goes
1: for you. <laughs> all right, well, um, all right, we'll, gang. Uh, we'll be thanks for listening. Week. You take care, John. Absolutely.